As we talked about last week, as we continue our series on Good and Beautiful God, there's some challenges to that. One is we have a problem defining what good is, and because we have a problem with that, we don't know who is good sometimes, but we struggle with that. We struggle with the fact that sometimes there is not an answer to the suffering. Why doesn't God give us an answer to why this is happening, but it is happening and there's not a clear answer? The biggest challenge is we interact with an eternal God who is outside of time. He did not have a beginning. He does not have an end. He sees tomorrow before we see it. He knows. And so as we work with an eternal God, we have to trust that he holds tomorrow and he holds today and he held yesterday and he's going to make sense of it all someday even if we can't do it now. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 today is God is trustworthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. And He will make your paths straight. In all ways, in all your ways, submit to Him. And He will make your paths straight straight but it does seem no matter how many times God proves himself uh, and no matter how many times God in our lives uh, has shown how trustworthy he is we still question his promises don't we we're in moments or we're in, we're in situations or circumstances we're in that moment whether just briefly or a season we begin to question whether or not the promises I've read in his word the promises that have been said to me all of a sudden they've become questionable. And part of that is because, as we said last week, talking about that we, be, we were created in the image of God, and if we were created in the image of God and the image of God is good, how come we don't see it in humanity? It's because sin came into the world and distorted the great purpose that we had, and now we are dealing with the reality that's around us. So when we begin to say, can we trust God? We begin to look around people around us and can we trust them? And many times we would say the answer to that is, unfortunately, no. Culturally, our way to deal with that commitment issue and being able to trust if I say or my promise that I make to you, the way that we have now dealt with that, and you've heard me talk about this before, is just don't make the commitment or don't overstate your commitment to make sure you leave yourself options if, you know, if needed. An escape clause. We use pre-qualifiers to make sure that when people ask us, we'll commit, especially socially. I know it's always been broken, but nowadays it's hard to get somebody's commitment two weeks out or a month out or whatever. They're waiting till that last, last time to see if something better comes along, I think, is why they do it. And the reality is, in a day and age where you don't even have to see people face-to-face or even call them on the phone, I can just text them or, or not say anything, or, or, or I can write an email to them or whatever that is and get out of that commitment, it's just easier, isn't it, to not follow through on what you said you would do. Sometimes we make promises 
that are to be trusted very public. We make it in baptism, as you've seen here at Renovation, or if you've seen elsewhere, obviously. We see it in marriage. We see it in baby dedication as we stand in front here. We make commitments, and really, as you know, when we do baby dedication, really the baby is not making the commitment. It's the parents who are making the commitment. So we live with people, us being those people, and if you've lived a number of years, you've made promises or you've made commitments or you've made statements along the way that you ended up not following through them. And there's various reasons why that happens, I mean, no doubt. I mean, sometimes we forget. Uh, I, I had one of my children, uh, and I won't name him here today, but uh, <laughs> one of my children, uh, as he's growing up, man, if you ever promised this person, him, anything, he never forgot it. But he had a tendency to forget the commitments and promises he made to you. We, that's kind of how we all operate, though, right? We all kind of have that deal with God. We, we want him to follow through. We want to make sure he stays up to his deal. But on our end of it, well, yeah. Now, sometimes we make commitments that we're just negligent. We, we, we make it, but then we make choices that we know are going opposite of that. And sometimes we know we've made commitments. I mean, you've, some of you may be in this room, you've borrowed money for a house or something, and you went through 07, 08, 09, and you intended with all your heart the day you signed those papers to pay that house off, but somehow, some way, circumstances dictated, it just wasn't there anymore. So we get that. It's, it's a mixture of all that. But one of the things that I've, I've thought over the years, you know, what, what do you wish somebody could say about you? And again, there's a lot of things we could put up there, you know. There, I'm sure some of you all, well, he's good looking or she's good looking, and we can go down that list that are, you know. But, but one of the things I think would be awesome is, is, is you can count on them. You can count on them. You can count on them to show up. You can count on them to put the work in. You can count on them. You can count on them. And if we gave you the opportunity today to sit down and begin to write a list of people that you could count on, that list might be pretty short. Now, again, I realize there's things. I'm talking about close things you count on. I'm not talking about, oh, I can count on them. And sometimes you can count on people to do the wrong thing. Okay, okay. If I gave them this, I can count on them to not to do what I ask them to do. Okay, I get that too. But I'm talking about people who are close to your circle that are intimate things, if you will, or, 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 or good things that you go, man, I need them and that to count. I need to be able to count on them. And how big is that circle? And it's actually probably smaller than you would think right off the top of your head. Reality is, most of us, Almost every day, trust people that we don't even know. If you drove to church today, you trusted a lot of people. If you get off on Highland coming north on 51, you trust them even more, okay, on an early morning. If you've ever done that, some of you don't. That's how I come from south up here. But it is tricky, and it's, a, it's, it's amazing to me to watch how 
the cars figure out how to slide in with each other. I mean, it, it is unbelievable to me that there's not more wrecks than there really are. Because it could be the most vile criminal next to you versus the most honorable, compassionate person in the world, and somehow or another you're trusting him. You don't even know him. You get on an airplane, you trust people. You trust the mechanic. You trust the traffic control, air traffic controller. You trust the pilot. You don't know what kind of night he had. You don't know what's going on in his or her life. You don't know, but you trust them. You trust the doctors. You trust those who produce your food, and you just trust them that somehow or another they've done the right things that you put in your body that's not going to give you certain things. You trust people. You trust the fact that that cell phone that somewhere along the way somebody did study, and it's not just frying your brain while you're talking on it. I know I'm cheering you up this morning through all of this. But we trust people that we've never met. With some of the most significant things in our lives, we trust them. But we still trust. We struggle sometimes with an almighty God who is good. That has a plan that is good. You know, the scripture talks about Becoming like a little child, those who will inherit the kingdom are like little children. Aren't you glad that there were people you trusted that taught you how to ride a bike, that taught you, said, yeah, jump off the side of the pool or jump off that rock. I'll catch you. I'm here. Trust me. Some of the things you have accomplished in life, some of the most thrilling things in your life is because you trusted someone. You trust them without any facts, without anything. You just trust them. And I, this is a, I know this is a big statement here, but I, I think it's true. Few things are more sacred between people than trust. And few things are more impactful and sometimes even de devastating than to have that trust fail. And when you've had that happen to you many times, and some of you in this room have, I realize why it's hard to see a God because you haven't seen it much around you. I get it. But you've gone through circumstances. Lost a baby. A job. My kids are a mess. My marriage is in trouble. My finances. I've done everything I was supposed to do, God. You know, sometimes we don't even trust God to dispense his own grace. We sometimes go, wait a second, you poured out his, your grace on them? Because if I'm judging it from where I'm standing, that's a bad call. But we wrestle with it, trusting God. But where did it all start? Well, last week we talked about it is good. It started in Genesis 1, and it was very good. Before it was all over with. We're going to jump to Genesis 2 and 3 today and talk a little bit about that. 
Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to go verses 9 and, and 9, then 16 and 17, then verse 2, uh, 2 through, well, I got to catch up here. Let's just go through 7. That's where we'll stop, since that's all the notes I've got here. <laughs> you, we're making it up on the fly here. You're in good shape. No. Actually, I think I sent the wrong thing, but we're good. The Lord made all, the, all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. These trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Jump to chapter 3, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit in the tree, uh, from the tree in the garden, but God did say, but God, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired. Was, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. What was the difference about that tree? What, what was so different about that tree? The reality is possibly nothing, except the fact that God said what? Don't eat from it. <laughs> Any tree may have served the purpose, but God tagged this particular tree. Don't eat from it. He says you can eat from any tree you want, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. But when I read this, and I don't know about you, I can kind of put myself in Eve's place, because in that moment, if you tell me that, it actually seems like it'd be something you would want. The knowledge of good and evil, to have that, seems like something we would all want. But the problem with eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that good and evil have extremes. It will give humans enormous knowledge of how to do bad things as well as to do good things. As we mentioned last week, the, that humans can range from an Adolf Hitler to a Mother Teresa. Inside of that knowledge of good and evil are these extremes. Human knowledge knows how to create a computer that connects you with your family and friends around the world, but it also, that same computer, can disseminate pornography or, or, or allow a terrorist to come together to wreak havoc on the world. It's the same thing inside of that extremes of the knowledge of good and evil. What Eve should have said is, this is what God said. I trust him. I believe him. And that settles it. Drop the mic. Walk off. But she accepted the question. And by receiving the question and accepting the question, she opened the door. She 
She now stood on the side of doubt, which ultimately leads to the unbelief and rejects God's truth. The problem with that is when we begin to reject God's truth is that we now trust our own judgment. We're now in charge. We now think that we are wise enough to make the decisions. And thank goodness he lets us participate with him. Thank goodness he lets us have some, not necessarily say so, but he allows us to have a mind and a heart to free will to choose to walk with him or not. He didn't make us robots. In order to love, we have to choose. But the reality was, and you may be in that situation today, where you're questioning whether you can trust God's word, you can put, whether you can trust God's promises, you can trust God's guidelines, you can trust God's guardrails, going, don't go there. Just don't go there. Because many times we have this perception of God that somehow, some way, he is this killjoy, or he is this God, that, and I've said a few weeks ago, he is the, is the fun police, if you will, and he's waiting for you to start having fun, and that's the reason why he doesn't want me over here, and he's just going to slap me back in. That's the way we see that. But the reality is, I believe, and I'm convinced, that it's because God does not want his children to get hurt, and he's trying to give us guidelines to stay out of the ditches. But we get this picture of him going, wait, and just like Eve, we start questioning, wait, 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 wait a second, God. I think I may know something you're holding out on me. And because you're holding out on me, I think I can make the decisions. Trust. It is that element in love that is perfectly sure of an other's goodness and motives. What ultimately I think broke here, and I want to come to this today because I think this is probably the biggest thing that comes between us and others and comes between us and God. Eve questioned God's motive. Now, I realize there are times that we try to do things for people that even ourselves, we don't even understand our motive in that moment. We are very complex people. We're very comp- sometimes very complicated in a circumstance. And we look back, we may do something for believe the right reason and for the right motive and look back and go, well, maybe I was doing it for that reason. Sometimes we in our own selves don't understand the motive. And the reality is even trust in itself. Why I trust someone or don't sometimes has to do with my own agenda has to do with my own perception or my own lens that I look through. And so I realize, Eve, in that moment, when you're having things whispered at you, things said to you, and, and in reality is people say, well, do you trust the, the, the uh, interaction between the serpent and Eve? I say, I know this. And do I trust it? Yes, but I know this. I see it happen every day. That exact circumstance happening in my own life, if I'm not careful, let alone the people around me that I'm trying to interface with, yes, it's real. The Word says that when she rejected God and she, began, she ate the apple, her eyes were opened. And now, no doubt in my mind, their physical eyes were already open. But now their eyes were open to the devastation. 
Now their eyes were open to the range of what evil could be. Now their eyes were open that they were now separated from God, that they didn't even understand before, didn't even know it was possible before. But now there's this communion, that, this union with God, and this communion, this community with God now is broken. The holiness of their life that they had before is now broken. The potential in their lives to think things they would have never thought before now is there. Their eyes were open. And they realized they were what? Naked. I'm from the South. We say that word strange, I know. But, sorry, but I'm just trying to say it the way it said it. They were without clothes. How about that? They didn't know it before. Is there knowledge you wish you didn't have that you now have that you just wish you'd have never had? If you'd have trusted God, if you'd have just trusted his guidelines, if you'd stayed where he wanted you to stay, if you'd have just cried out to him and you'd read his promises, he says, don't go there. If you would, now you have knowledge you wish you'd have never had. You do. You, you, well, I shouldn't say everybody. I know I do. I wish I never knew that or that or that in my own life and choices I've made along the way maybe choices other people, whatever it is. I wish I didn't have that knowledge, but I have it now. Because my eyes are open because of sin that originated in the garden, we all have the unfortunate, I guess in one way, the ability to have knowledge that we wish we didn't have. Trust is so valuable. And our relationship with God and with others, it's scary how underrated it is. Let me say it again. It's not profound. <laughs> but trust is so valuable, it's scary how underrated it is. It affects everything. It's the fundamental cornerstone of any relationship. I realize that every one of us has a bad day along the way and we forget and we should have done something. I'm not talking about that, even though sometimes you may have to go say, I'm sorry, I forgot, or I'm sorry. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is fundamental commitments, fundamental promises we are making. And you've heard me talk about this before. I talk about it in, in when we talk about uncommon, but it's simply, it's more than simply being able to tell the truth. It's more than being able to trust you with my money or my car or my wife or my house. It's when you can trust a person's values. It's when you can trust a person's direction in life. It's when you can trust their motives. And this trust only comes from living a life of consistency, a life of favor, a life of integrity, and knowing where you are headed. And you've heard me say this more than you want to, and I know I'm repeating some things today that you've heard before, but I love relationships are the key to all this. Trust leads to vulnerability, and vulnerability leads to intimacy. Without trust, you will not have vulnerability in a relationship. You just won't have it. 
Now, you may have people who just want to come and puke all their stuff. That's not vulnerability. I hear people, oh, they're vulnerable because they told me all their, I started to use a word there, but all their stuff. And I don't mean the other S word. That's not what I was saying. Because some people just like to dump their stuff. Trust and respect creates vulnerability. And when you become vulnerable, then you can have intimacy. But without vulnerability, you'll never have intimacy. I don't care what you call it. And intimacy, as you, you've heard me say before, is taking a bad rap in this culture because it usually means the physical part of a relationship. But intimacy is way deeper than that. It is about a deep relationship between two people or two in a group. But intimacy... We talk about in the depths of relationships and in much of what we teach here when we talk about relationships. But it is that first, it's the small talk. We can all have relationships, small talk. Many of you in here, you, you may not have ever gone past coming into this church, and I understand it. It may be a season of time where you don't need more than that, and I get that. But in order to have community, real community, it's got to go past small talk. You know people can be married 50 years and still stay in small talk. I'm not just talking about how's the weather, how's this. I'm talking about people who don't talk, that, that just talk about surfacey things, and they find new ways to talk about vacations and talk about this and that, but they really never, ever go past that. But then there's the second part that we talk about. You can have tension and passion without separation. In other words, I love being able to get in a room with people who we may even have an opposite view of where things are or at least start out opposite, but we can have this tension. We can have this passion about something, but there's never going to be separation because there's a depth of a relationship because there's trust there. But unless you have that trust, what will happen is conversations are taken off the table that will never get back on the table. That's the reason why it stays in small talk. Joseph Green, he talks about in, in Crucial Conversations, he said the health of any organization, church, marriage, family, whatever, is when you recognize, he said it's the time frame between the moment you recognize there's an issue and you talk about it. That's how you figure out how healthy you are. But that takes trust. Which leads to the third thing we talk about, and we talk, talk about the depths, and that is to share your hurts, your habits, your strengths, your fears, and your dreams. And I mean, most of us would say, oh, I understand why I would not unless I trust people to share my hurts or my habits or whatever. But I'll tell you what, you almost don't even want to share your dreams with people you don't trust. Because they may be dream crushers. Because <laughs> it intimidates them. That God is speaking to you, God is showing you, God is, so you almost can't even trust to talk about those kind of things because they don't dream either. So it's these relationships that God is using. But I tell you, but when I began to talk about prayer, I don't want to stay in small talk in prayer. I don't want to stay in small talk in my relationship with God. He already knows what's on my heart. And then there are times God knows that I am wrestling with him in tension and passion, but I guarantee you because of my relationship with him, I hope and pray, and I hope it's your way, that there is no separation. You don't even worry about that because you have such a deep understanding even though you're wrestling in that moment. with an almighty God. Whatever his will is, as Jesus did in the garden, I love his, I love his response. I love his father. I trust you. Not my will, but your will.
So it's important. And I love what 2 Peter One through four says, And Simon Peter, a servant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, has received faith as, a precious, as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these we, he has given us very great and precious promises. So through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. Through the very great and precious promises, can you trust them? Because it's through them. One reason I believe you need to know this word, you need to memorize this thing. You need to know it back and forth the best you can. I realize some have other challenges trying to get there. But, it, but you find out not only who God is, but you also know his promises. That through his promises, through them, we become a participant in the divine nature. Dallas Willard talks about in his book, Renovation of the Heart and Daily Practice, he talks about Four stages of beginning to walk that out. He said the first one is this. It's surrender. And let me say this. About this whole concept of surrender. It's all based on trust. But in this surrender stage, you still may grumble and complain. (laughs) And for some of you, surrendering may feel like death. Guess what? It is. (laughs) Surrendering. Philippians 3, 10 and 11 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation, and this is what we don't want here, in his sufferings. Become like him in death and so somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. We don't want to think about that. But through the breaking of what Adam and Eve, or what Eve and Adam did at the time, The only way back is first surrender to what he said. The second part is, is abandonment. In the church of the Nazarene, we would call it consecration. <laughs> these altars for years and years and years, for decades, not these particular ones, but these have been around for decades, they're a place. And you've seen over the last few weeks, and I'm so appreciative of those responding, not really sometimes even without, even with an altar call, of a place that you can come and just lay it all down. It's this, these altars are a piece of furniture until you and God meet here, because you could do that anywhere, but it is a place in our room that we've set aside for that. 
But it's that consecration. It's coming and laying it all down in, a, in, in, in the best you can in the eyes of your heart. I think it's Ephesians, uh, I can't, Ephesians 1, I think 1.18. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. Open the eyes of your heart, Lord. Open their minds, open their hearts to see things. Open their minds to see the things that they're holding on to. Open their minds to come and abandon it. And I don't mean abandon in the way we use it in our culture today because many times we see abandoned houses, abandoned families. That's not what I'm talking about. It means you're letting it down. You're going, God, it's yours. I'm not picking it back up. I'm taking my hands off. I'm going to live this way, not that way. I'm abandoning my career. I'm abandoning. And again, don't run out of here today and say, Pastor, don't hear what I'm not saying. You tell your wife on the way home, I'm abandoning my career. I'm quitting tomorrow. I'm giving it to God. I'm laying it down. I'm just simply laying it down. I believe him. I don't just have faith that he exists. I believe in his promises and trust him. I'm going to trust him. I don't just believe in him. I'm going to trust him. He says the next one is contentment. He said, I think this is we're content with the will of God where your hope and joy transcend everything else in our lives. I love, I think it says, it says the days of grumbling and complaining about our lives or living a double-minded life, it seems like insanity at this point. <laughs> in other words, to live still back there grumbling and complaining with where God has brought me now seems like insanity. That God, through his supernatural power, can allow me to have joy and hope in the middle of all the suffering. We embrace our circumstances, no matter how tragic they seem. We embrace them in believing <clears throat> that God is using those to advance the kingdom. We're believing that. We're holding on to that. And the last one is participation. Willard talks about the fact that there is a divine drama that's going on around us. And your participation in it is critical. We talk about it in football or whatever. You know, there's, there's uh, 22 guys on the field and there's 70,000 people standing at the stands cheering on those people to get it all done and participate. Now, this is talking about being a participant, not just spectating, but being a participant. And everything you do every day is to advance the kingdom. That what you do, you really become to believe that what you do matters, what you choose matters, how you act matters, everything matters. And when you begin to trust God to do the things in your life, it begins to advance the kingdom in a way you never would have thought before. And there are times. You're advancing the kingdom and you don't want to participate. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? You're being asked in the middle of a divine drama and a play that's being played out. You are being asked to play a role inside of that and you would choose not that role if you could, you would walk away from that role, but you are being chose to use that role to advance the kingdom.
I may not be able to choose all the circumstances in my life or how I will eventually die, but I sure as heck can choose how I'm going to live in the middle of all of it. It's a choice, as Eve had, as Adam had, as you have every day, to choose, to choose the kingdom way, to choose to advance the kingdom, no matter what your circumstance, to trust God ultimately, trust Him, to lean not on your own understanding. Sin entered the human race by not trusting God. But the reality is, His parameters are established for our good, and it's only within that framework that it'll ever work. See, God's plan for you, I believe, is for a great purpose, uniquely for you, with a great hope and a great future. His plan does not isolate you like it did Adam and Eve and separate you. It reconciles you. It restores you to your greater purpose of what God designed you for. I asked Josiah and him to come, but there's a song out right now that's just been kind of stuck in my mind recently. A song I listen to. I'm, I'm one of those people I was talking to somebody the other night. They're kind of like me. I think it was Tori we were talking about. I can listen to a song once I, once I like the song. I can listen to it like 60 times in a row. That's kind of one of those weird people. But it's, the song's called Refresh Me. And the word, the word refresh, I looked it up. The word refresh means to revive. That you were out of breath, almost like, you're, like you were dying, and you're being resurrected. I mean, let's say resurrected. Resuscitated. That's what I meant to say. Resuscitated. I love the words and it says Lord I loose my hands take control God let your purposes unfold there's a greater story to be told refresh me revive me trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust. Won't you stand as we close? And as always, these altars are, are open, if you will, for you to come and, and pray, and we would love to pray with you. God is good. He is trustworthy. And the crazy thing is he's chosen to use us to live that out for other people. That maybe some way, somehow, we'd be a pathway to him because of the way we live our lives. It takes time and it's easy to break, I know, trust. I just pray as we Think about this time today, though, maybe for you, that you felt that separation. And the first answer to all this is surrender, to come back. 
Maybe for you, you, you know that part, but you haven't laid it all down. You haven't put everything on the table, if you will, or on the altar or wherever that is in your picture. You haven't put it all. There's still some things you're hanging on to. You've got to put it all down to continue to walk this out fully, in my opinion. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that we can preach it. We can sing it. We can hug and all the things we do in this room, but without your spirit speaking to us individually, uniquely. That whispers to us sometimes is not in the earthquake and it's not in the fire. It's not, it's that whisper, that still small voice. This is no. Trust me. Trust me. And Lord, I help, I pray that you'll help folks across this room, including this pastor, to strengthen us to live that out. Because Lord, we know one way you advance your kingdom is through your people, doing the best they can. As it was with Adam and creation before the fall. When the creatures saw Adam, that's as if they thought they were seeing God. <laughs> because he was such an image of you. Help us be those people, Lord. I pray now for those who would come, if they want to, or standing where they are, whatever the case, Lord. To know, to know they can trust you, surrender, to consecrate for your glory and for their betterment and for those around them. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you feel led, come as you feel led, and if not, just sing along with us.